0: Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Emerson. Lisa, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero.
1: Thank you very much, Laban. It is an honor to be here. And as always, every time I talk to you, it's a pleasure. It's going to be great to get out some of this information to the public today.
0: Well, that is the very reason why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because you are a genius in my opinion and the expert of in the in the field of iron deficiency amongst other amazing things. But for the audience at home that haven't had the honor of figuring out who you are yet, can you tell us a little bit about who you are?
1: Well, I am just your common everyday Joe <laughs> or I thought I was, you know, healthy and a normal person walking around for the longest time, but I had little things that had gone, you know, wrong with me. Um, So I hadn't really thought about them too much until recently. So back in 2009, I just had happened to clean up my diet and go low carb and had been doing that for quite a while with no issues. Um, Why'd
0: you do that just quickly?
1: Just, you know, because I wanted to get, you know, as optimize my health and get as healthy as I possibly could, um, just to continue to lead my life. (laughs) So just, you know, I I enjoy science. And that's part of my background. A large part of my background actually is science. I started off in astronomy, and um, have worked in biology and and other, you know, types of natural health since then. Um, And Yeah, I just uh, changed to a low-carb diet. And when I got into dogs, which was previous to that, I um, had looked up nutrition information on dogs, and then I got into actually studying and doing actual research, a little actual research on canine nutrition. And, you know, there there are so many food companies out there and some ones that are very highly regarded um, for various reasons. And I looked at what their ingredients were and what they were using and how much of it. And I looked to the health issues that were happening very commonly in dogs recently. And I decided, you know, well, what is it? I I should know what is it that dogs actually eat? So I thought historically, well, what do they eat? And well, come to find out it's not quite what we're generally feeding them now. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I looked at it, my my, my own health. And so I cleaned up my own diet and of went that direction as well what is it that humans are supposed to eat and i I got better at that so
0: so further from the astronomy you've worked as a as a nutrition researcher and in what's been your main field of expertise
1: as far as dogs just in general there are so many issues caused uh by the same things in their food that are causing issues in us Uh, And sometimes their presentations are different. Dogs will have certain symptoms that humans won't. Sometimes they'll overlap. Uh, The majority probably of adults in first world countries now have what's called metabolic disease, where there is some sort of metabolic problem going on, usually insulin related, caused by excess sugar from excess plants and uh, vegetable oil. I put vegetable in quotes because it's never from vegetables. It's just from seed oils and, and plants um, that are fairly toxic to everything, including humans and dogs. So, um, yeah, that's so much goes wrong there that can be fixed. And it, it involves, as we'll be talking about, iron metabolism as well. And
0: that the, the link between dogs and humans is a lot closer than a lot, a lot of people would probably realise. And especially given they come from wolves, things that, uh, that struck out, struck me were the similarities in our stomach acid between humans and wolves and uh, I don't know you able to share some more insight on on that area
1: yes stomach acid between humans and dogs wolves is very very similar we I think we might even have a resting acid a little bit lower so yeah um, we we process the same foods in the same way mostly the difference I mean there are some major uh, nutritional differences just I say major, they're minor in a scheme of things, but you want to be careful. But the, the main difference between humans and dogs, I would say, is that humans eat large prey items, which are high fat, medium protein. Dogs eat small prey items, which are higher in protein and medium in fat. And so for humans, we our fuel is fat. Dogs they tend to have more protein in their diets. And so they don't necessarily always handle a lot of fat as as well as humans do. But in the industry these days, um, it's gotten to the point where a lot of food is now uh, stuffed with sugar. And it's just like doctors telling their patients to eat lower and lower and lower fat and their gallbladders keep getting more sludge and more buildup. And then they have to get their gallbladders removed. In dogs, it's similar, but it more
0: occurs with the pancreas so that's i found that so interesting and and uh like because if you go to a vet and you say you know like this is th- these are the symptoms let's say your dog has metabolic syndrome right? let's say your dog has type 2 diabetes i presume that's possible or, or a variation of it they will tell you to switch to a species appropriate diet which is i don't know what what are dogs supposed to eat for the most part
1: More or less the same things as as humans. So Dr. Michael Leeds has talked about this before, where he's looked at the research that has been done in that field. And you come to find out humans eat more meat in the wild than wolves do, historically speaking, uh, until we get more to the modern era. And so dogs tend to eat plenty of meat. Um, our, our, our digestive tracts are also extremely similar. They're short, they're made to process mostly meat. Yes, we can digest, you know, we have amylase and, and things like that, but that's more of an aside. It's sort of like uh, for predators, we have, you know, terrible teeth. But then on the other side of things, gorillas with big fangs, they're not predators. So you can't necessarily go by what you're looking on the outside. It's more of an inside issue.
0: Okay, so what it what it looks like on the outside may not be what it seems in, in reality, and and for people that don't know, I've I've adopted a largely carnivorous diet for the last two and a half years, where I've been I've excluded basically all plants uh, apart from coffee. And as this is being recorded in February of two thousand twenty one, I am five days sober from caffeine, and and I say sober because the more reading and learning I'm doing about this drug. Uh it is I am experiencing horrendous withdrawals. And it's only day five where I'm starting to feel normal. I've been pretty much confined to a beanbag for the last, you know, four and a bit days using pain medication to take away the horrendous kidney pain. And I was just curious to know, like, uh and and, and I've got you to thank for this, um, not for the pain, but for the encouragement to to quit caffeine because um, when we spoke uh, over the last couple of weeks, looking at my blood work, for someone who eats so much red meat, there was some potential issues with my iron absorption, which caffeine can have a, a major contributing factor in terms of um, not allowing the iron to be properly absorbed. Are you able to explain that in, in maybe some to an eight-year-old child terms?
1: Sure. Yeah. So there are different things, if we want to be as generic as possible, that occur mostly in plants that will keep you from in, from uptaking as much iron as you can when you eat them. So um, for instance, coffee and tea have some things and I could be more specific if you want, but it's um, so polyphenols of, and that kind of thing, polyphenols and tannins and oxalates um, and even some dairy such as things with calcium and, um, yeah, polyphenols, exactly. Um, oh, phosphoproteins. So I had to have a list because there's just so much to even look at, to remember, um, and phytates and things like that. So um, seeds, nuts, grains. um legumes all those things they can keep you from uh, absorbing as much iron as you should be and so some people may have an issue with too much tea or too much uh, coffee consumption and therefore have iron dysregulation from that and then if you factor uh not you obviously and and not me but lots of people with metabolic disease on top of that will really really mess up iron regulation as well and so it becomes a two-fold problem
0: so let's, let's delve into this a little bit further because you have gone through your own major health journey, and I'm um, I'm very proud to be able to you know announce that you've come out the other side of it with only one one small challenge that you've got out of a list that goes into the hundreds, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I lost count once it got over fifty. I was just like, "What's one more?" You know.
0: <laughs> Can you share that with our audience? Because I think this is this is the really important part of this interview. Yeah. Uh, because you you went to a, a ketogenic diet for health optimization, optimization reasons, then you went on to a carnivore diet, and you still didn't get the results that you were hoping to get. And this next part will explain why.
1: Exactly. So back in, um, well, I, I should probably start at the very beginning. Um, when I was about seven, I remember having my heart skip a beat. And that was scary at the time. And I didn't think too much of it after, other than being shocked when it happened. Um, And as I got a little bit older, it did that more often. And I didn't think too much of it. You know, in, in school, they would have us run uh, in PE, and I would just be absolutely exhausted from that. And I just couldn't. And the PE teacher would be like, come on, you could, you know, just, I, I mean, and then I would go from school to something like karate practice and I would be just exhausted and I couldn't do anything. And everybody I'm sure just thought I was being lazy or, you know, just needed to get it together, but that wasn't the issue at all. I just so tired. And so I was, you know, falling asleep when I was TAing like biology and Annette and phys in the mornings at school. And, you know, that wasn't great. And so then I started getting um, blepharitis, which is uh, an inflammation of the eyelids. And staphylococcus um, uh, infestation, basically, that just kept attacking my eyelids. And so it, it would be incredibly painful and it would blur my vision. And, you know, that was really a problem. And so they would go and slice my eyelids open on the back. And it, it just, it was miserable, miserable. And so I thought, oh, well, I'm just allergic to the eyeshadow I'm using or something. And so I stopped using makeup up there. And yeah, uh, I just had. Things like that happen, just random, oh, well, I'm tired, exhausted, do anything, whatever. You know, I, I just powered through it. A little bit depression, things like that. And so in 2014, I started working for a charity organization. And it involved a lot of outdoors exercise, hunting people down, trying to get them to, you know, help out the cause. And so yeah it it took so much out of me. I, the first few months okay, but it, it we got to the summer of the next year and I was just getting so worn down. I couldn't even stay awake some days. I would physically just fall asleep and not wake up and then have you know five, ten minutes where I could be coherent. Um, and just that the pain was incredible. I started getting just pain everywhere, sometimes it would move from one part of my arm to the other down to my legs I would have no idea where it was coming from I got huge bouts of sciatica so if you've never had sciatica that is when you get a shooting pain down your lower back into your leg and it keeps it, it messes you up so badly you can't really even stand I mean you're just hobbling and it's just incredibly painful you think your back is broken <laughs> um so loads and loads of pains like that were uh, just made it really hard for me to work and I was getting Besides the fatigue and the pain, it was, um, I was sweating incredible amounts and flushing. Uh, my blood pressure was all over the place, up and down. I would just, just being inside, minding my own business, I would suddenly have a temperature spike, um, or a blood pressure spike or whatnot. And my heart started skipping two beats at a time. And I thought, oh, that's exciting. Um, <laughs> and then, um, once it got to the point <clears throat> where everything went haywire, I would say the summer of 2019 is um, so I'll just fast forward very quickly. Um, It, it went haywire and my heart skipped four beats in a row and I could feel my blood settle in my body. And that's terrifying. (laughs) I don't recommend it to anyone. So I had other issues like brain fog. I couldn't think properly. I had very little ability to concentrate. Uh, My memory. I couldn't remember what, you know, I was talking about what I like just it was hard to hold down a conversation um so and, and then there are things that people said oh you remember that happened i have no recollection of that i mean i would have remembered had it not been something that happened but it's hard to you know oh well you don't remember that nope sorry <laughs> <laughs> so that, that wasn't great for day-to-day living either. Um, so yeah, I have to uh, reference a list here because there are just so many things that were going on. Um, I would stand up and, you know, you would have the sort of almost blackout sensation and have to not fall over because of blood pressure issues. Um, I was starting to get, uh, anxiety on a regular basis, depression on a regular basis. So this was happening, you know, within three, three, Days at a time, a week or two at a time. I could never tell when it was going to come and go, um, whether I would be anxious or depressed or both, or whether I was going to have a panic attack all day, every day. Um, And those are just, it's panic attacks are the worst. Um, And there were times where some, I had a couple different times during this stretch where I had, you know, things that hit me emotionally I had to deal with. And I had massive bouts of um, either, uh, I, I had one thing where PTSD, I actually ended up with it and you can't make it go away. And it's it's terrifying because it just haunts you constantly um, when you're having this episode. And then I had another issue where um, when I had an, an issue that I had to deal with emotionally, I would be having horrible fibromyalgia type pain. And how I describe it is every single cell of my body is screaming. It's just painful and I'm curled up in a you know fetal position. I'm just crying and there's nothing I can do about it. There's no drug that's fixing it for me. Um, it, it didn't matter what I took. Um, I tried CBD. I tried ibuprofen, acetaminophen, um, aspirin, everything there was. And, and nothing would even touch it except alcohol would take the edge off. And so I was drinking a lot more. Um, maybe I'd have one to two drinks a week. Um, it was almost daily, at least just, just to get by. So I wasn't just, and of course if I drink, I get tired and then I fall asleep. So that doesn't help. I'm not getting anything done and I'm just sort of miserable. And so I was starting to lose hair and uh, um, my hands were always cold, always cold. And which is weird when you're having temperature spikes and flushing that your hands would be cold, but Yeah. um, Some people, uh, instead of excessively sweating, they stop sweating altogether, which is exciting. Um, So I had dry skin, easy bruising. Uh, Oh, yeah. uh, Besides the fibromyalgia, I have muscle cramps and twitching. Um, Well, mostly the twitching just, oh, well, I'm low in magnesium or potassium or something. And that did not solve the problem. Um, I was just weak all the time. I tried to help a friend move and I could barely lift boxes and I was just, it, it was miserable. It was worse me being there trying to help and being in the way, I think, than anything. Um, restless leg syndrome. That's one I didn't really appreciate as an actual problem that exists until you get it. It's, it's no joke. You have to move your legs and it's horribly uncomfortable and it, you want to just jump out of your skin. Um, so brittle nails I, uh, had where um, they would crack on the sides constantly and they would, um, come apart, uh, in longitudinal, uh, uh, vertical, um, uh, how, how do I put it? Um, there's ridging. And so the ridges would kind of fall apart at the ends. And so it kind of separate the nail, uh, in different layers. And so that was happening all the time. And so I had to go get my nails professionally done just so that I, you know, they weren't, cracking constantly um shortness of breath so i'm doing all this exercise i can barely breathe uh, it feels like somebody is choking me on a constant basis it's just right here like they had a boot on my throat and would not let up um and my my heart was beating too fast tachycardia um palpitations uh arrhythmia all that stuff um chest pain it felt like well maybe i'm having a heart attack am i i don't know i can't tell but I thought with all this other stuff going on, this has got to be a symptom and not the actual problem. Um, so I had trouble swallowing, as I mentioned. Um, also I had sores inside my mouth, which kept coming and kept coming. And you he, and think, oh, well, maybe I'm just biting the inside of my mouth when I eat. But I wasn't. Um, and I started getting um, cold sore in the same place every couple of months. It would just balloon up and it was wild. And, of course, didn't look all that great. Um At the very height of it, I was having just, my GI tract has always been completely normal, no digestive issues ever. But then at the height of this, I was getting just random spurts of diarrhea or constipation. And I was just like, please stop, whatever it is, just stop, you know, because I don't need that on top of everything else. Um, The other main issue I had, I mean, I I stopped, well, I'll get into that in a second. But um, the other main issue I had, well, besides heavy menstruation, which, oh my goodness, you know, it's it's just way more than it should be. And it's so, so incredibly painful. And it shouldn't be that painful. Um, and I would go to sleep if I could, you know, I was so tired, I'd go to sleep, but then I'd wake up every 30 minutes just for no reason. Or I'd be waking up stretching, stretching my arms. And I don't know why I would need to, but I just, it was weird. And so um, the other thing that happened is I suddenly gained 10 kilos over 10 days. So 22 pounds in 10 days. And, you know, I was told, oh, well, you're just getting older. I don't know who, (laughs) by not changing my diet one iota, who just gets older in 10 days to bloat like a beach whale. I I mean, everybody's saying, oh, you're not fat. And when you're suddenly carrying around that much weight that you weren't the week before, you feel really fat. And it's a lot more weight to carry on, especially if you're exhausted. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. And so what I did, um, oh, and then I woke up one day in April of 2019 and uh, my vision was blurry. And I thought, oh, well, it must just be, you know, the blepharitis again. So I was scrubbing my eyelid margins to make sure they were clean and not getting any any bacteria in there. <clears throat> and uh, it didn't go away and it didn't go away and it didn't go away. So I went to an ophthalmologist, one of the highly rated ones uh, here in the Midwest and they ran every test they had. And they said, there's no reason you shouldn't have 20, 20 vision. We have no idea what's going on. And that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> um, and so I, I was like, okay, that's good. I'm going blind, but it doesn't look like I'm going blind. Great. Um, so um, I, I changed my diet. So I had been low carb since 2009, 2010 ish, somewhere around there. And I changed my diet. So once I, suddenly blowed it up. And so I went to a carnivore uh, keto. And so I didn't lose any weight at all. Didn't gain any weight, which was nice, but I didn't lose any weight. And so I thought, well, okay, it's not helping. And this is when things started getting even worse, I think. Uh, And I, so I went low calorie carnivore keto. And so I was eating between zero and maybe 400 calories a day. And I broke the laws of thermodynamics because I didn't lose one pound, not one. And you're, you're going for weeks to a month doing this. And you're thinking this isn't even possible. Nobody's going to even believe this, you know, it shouldn't be possible. And so I had started, I went, once the symptoms started hitting in 2015, I would say, I went to my first doctor and I asked if they could run tests on my thyroid because, you know, I gained all this weight suddenly. And why am I doing this? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know enough back then to ask for my labs so I could look them over myself and the doctor just shrugged and said, Oh, you're fine. Um, you just are fat and your TSH is your, your thyroid's fine. I was like, okay. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll just be fat, but then all the other symptoms started happening. And so I thought, no, I can't just live with this anymore. Um, so that's when I went to other doctors. Other doctors um, charged me extra money for listing more of my symptoms to them, which was interesting, um, and also gave me no answers and just tried to refer me off to somebody else because they had no idea. And, uh, yeah, it, it got pretty exciting there for a while. I wore a heart monitor, um, and they never even told me the results of that, so that, that wasn't helpful either. And I finally, you know, I was having – it was so hard to concentrate and think and process and stay awake and all of those things that when I was able to do that, I would be face down in PubMed trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, Because, you know, none of the doctors could figure it out. So I guess I'm my last resource here. And so I I would be constantly reading and reading, and reading, trying to figure this out. But none of these constellation of symptoms seemed to go together. And there wasn't anything really on the subject that I could find at the time looking at it that way. And so Uh, Finally, I believe it was, I think, October 22nd of 2019, I figured it out. (laughs) I stumbled upon a paper that listed blurry vision, and I thought, oh, thank you. It's it's mentioning some of these things. And just the only reason I was even looking at the paper was to help somebody else with his hyperferritinemia, which is an, an iron dysregulation issue on the other end of things and he didn't have metabolic syndrome. So I was, I was helping him with this issue. And I just was looking something up for him after the fact. And I came across that and I did a double take and I thought, oh, thank you. And I was so excited. And just because I wanted to see if anything would help, because again, I am in a dire situation here. I just slammed some iron. And within a couple of hours, I was like, all my pain's gone. And all these symptoms started disappearing. By the time I woke up the next day, all but Maybe seven or eight of them, my symptoms were gone completely. Um, and so I had a, an appointment scheduled with one of the top endocrinologists. And I walk in and she says, hey, uh, how's it going? I was like, it's going great. I think I figured it out. And she says, great, because I have no idea. So <laughs> she charged me, but she had no idea. So I, I continued her education and helped her out there. Um, I hope that we can help someone else out as well with the information I provided. And um, yeah, so I even had to beg for a thyroid ultrasound just to see if there's anything going on there. And after I begged and pleaded, finally took a half hour of just at the desk going, please, you know, I got that. My thyroid's perfectly fine. So that's good to know. I even, uh, I found uh, an immunologist who was the best doctor so far. And she was she ha- she didn't have any idea either, but she was willing to work with me and help me figure it out. And I really appreciated that and not just, oh, well, who knows? You're fine. It's all in your head. You know, some of that stuff. She wasn't like that at all. So that was incredible. And so I gave her the information afterwards and, and she thought it was great. So, yeah, I we we tried everything. My allergies were just going haywire as well. And so at one point I did find mold on a wall and I thought, oh, it's got to be a, a mold allergy yeah, it was a mold allergy. All right. But that was only exacerbating all my other symptoms, including the allergies. Um, and some people get um, increased allergies and asthma from this as well. Forget the mold. I mean, just this alone will, can not necessarily cause those things, but it will exacerbate them horribly. So yeah, I I'm down to, it took me about five months to start losing the weight and it would fall off in one to three pounds at a time over a week here then another week there and i got to the point where um yeah i just have one symptom left and that's the blurry vision and it might just be optic nerve damage that may never go away so we don't know but i'm just continuing to treat myself because it's um the thing that is going on is that it's not even just iron dysregulation it is other things that work together to make iron work in the body. For instance, riboflavin is a big one. And so that's, you know, very, very seldomly diagnosed in people as well, but it is very common. And so I encourage anyone listening to me who has crazy symptoms like I did, please, whatever you do, don't just go slam down iron. The best thing you can do, unless you're dying, in which case just, (laughs) yeah. But the best thing you can do is, you know, get your blood tested. The doctors don't normally test for the right things. And so that's now where I come in and I'm helping people out with this because you have to look at all the things going on together to see synergistically what's going on and what needs to be addressed and how to address it. Because people, for instance, with metabolic syndrome, you don't want to go slam down iron because you can actually cause worse problems than you're already having. So it's important to treat it properly if you can. (laughs) And there are some people that have uh, two much iron who can have some of the same symptoms of too low iron so you you have to really be sure of what you're doing
0: hemochromatosis
1: hemochromatosis
0: hemochromatosis yep. so man holy god this is uh this is a lot this is a lot to take in and but you know what lisa i think it's really going to impact people that are struggling to find an answer because the the reason i went down the carnival route was for health reasons and it ended up being this wonderful blessing in disguise and you know you, you went down that route as well and it still didn't work and and i think a carnivore elimination protocol's like one of the most effective ways of treating this stuff based on what i can tell right so but you've, you've really made me think and it's two and a half years i've been doing this i've been feeling wonderful don't get me wrong but i have had periods where uh, my energy's down, or, you know, just I, 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 knew, I know that I can feel better given that I've had a taste of it now. And so it's going to be really interesting with this um, getting rid of caffeine. The caffeine for me, I've, what I think has been happening is that I've been undereating because I'm a very active individual. I'd pound coffee until midday, 1 o'clock p.m., have my first meal. And I found that since I've quit coffee, my hunger pangs kick in like 9.30, 10 a.m. So I'm, I'm having an extra meal of meat uh, a day and like <laughs> like that's a, that's a significant amount of fat and protein and macro, and micronutrients, a lot of the riboflavin, uh, a lot of the B vitamins that you're talking about. So my question is now, for people listening, what are some of the best ways to be able to take in iron naturally?
1: Best way is through meat. Uh, meat has a particular kind of iron that's not found in plants called heme iron. And it's the most bioavailable, digestible, lowest toxicity, basically one that you can ingest. And so you're going to have a better time on that. So I encourage people to take up more meat in their diet and, and don't forget the organ meat. Uh, particularly things like liver, you know, kidneys, heart, whatever. But it will have the riboflavin in it, which is not found in huge amounts elsewhere. And so it's very important to get that. And that's not what I was doing when I had gone carnivore, unfortunately. So um it might have saved me some difficulty or it might have just extended out the problem long enough for me to not try it hard enough, you know. So, yeah, I always recommend meat to people. It, it's going to be the best way to get iron and try to limit the iron the things that keep you from uh, absorbing iron like I had mentioned earlier.
0: Okay so what about people that don't eat meat like is there, is there a way to get iron into your body effectively?
1: Supplements <laughs> um, you can I mean there are types of iron that are found in plants they're just not as bioavailable and even when they are plants have you know um, things that keep you from eating them and that will keep you from they, they practice chemical warfare essentially. And so there are different ways that they can keep you from uh, doing all that your body could possibly do with plants when eating them. And so it, it will keep you from absorbing as much and it'll be not the the type that will be easiest for you to use in the body, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I get a, a lot of people say, you know, shouldn't we just eat a balanced diet? And I was, um, it was funny, I was even reading something in the in the lift in my apartment where I lived this morning coming back up for my run, because uh, it was talking about coronavirus, and it was saying, uh, drink plenty of water and eat a balanced diet. And I was like, well, thanks for the information, asshole. Like, you want to be a little bit more specific? Can you be a little bit more specific for us, Lisa?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know... Uh... It it could be just to protect themselves from having to give actual specific advice, you know, when they say eat a balanced diet, like that's helpful to anyone. So yeah, with humans, we do best on a meat first diet. I say we in general, almost everybody, not everybody is going to be exactly the same. Everybody is different in their own way. But in general, we do best on a meat first diet. And that includes organ meat. And so I usually say 10% muscle meat collagen and then, you know, one, one part. Organ meat, but uh, it's however you want to do it that you feel the best in. And if you get your labs done, um, check things that doctors don't normally check that you want to make sure are within the optimal range, not the reference range, but the optimal range for yourself. And uh, just tweak things until you get to where you're feeling the best and you're having the fewest symptoms or no, ideally no symptoms and, and just work from there. So if you, there are people who can include lots of plants in their diet and there are people that will have massive problems if, if they do include that much planet matter in their diet. So it's all dependent on the individual and their own genetics and their history of how, you know, what they've been eating in the past that may or may not have messed them up uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I I think what we're what we're discovering is that there is no silver bullet for any of this and and it is a very complex beast and even someone like myself who's been monitoring my own health and my labs and and doing the best i can there's still some areas that i could do some work i truly feel that uh, quitting the caffeine and the sugar which um which i have periods where i've gone off sugar um, but it inevitably makes its way back because it's so insidious it's in everything um and and even chocolate contains caffeine, so I think abstinence is going to be the way forward for this. Um, I want to be able to be in control of my my body um, fat index and like get down to a, a really lean uh, body mass index. Um, I want to feel really good, so I'm I'm willing to be disciplined and, and uh, to do the things necessary. But for people that are interested, like, what's your ideal client for the work that you're doing?
1: Well, um. Anybody with an issue who thinks that I could help them address it, <laughs> because, like I said, everybody's different, and all their different symptoms um, and what they need for their bodies is going to be highly variable on the individual. But you know, it's going to be easier to work with people who are willing to eat uh, a meat-first diet um, and are willing to at least try out organ meat uh, rather than just take supplements because, you know, I've worked with vegetarians and vegans before, but it's very tough because you see that a lot of their blood work is out of whack and you know exactly how you can fix that, but they will not budge because they say, oh, well, as long as I can take 50 different supplements, you know, it's fine. Well, that's also not, you know, uh, uh, how do I put it, ecologically sound to just (laughs) – you know, do that all day, every day, and you don't know if they're made out of animal products or not. Um, so it, it's kind of defeating the purpose, possibly. And it, it's just a lot easier on the body. It's going to be naturally absorbed better if you can just eat whole foods, real foods, and you know, go out in the sun, things like that. And uh, yeah, with and and that's another thing, like vitamin B two. Even if you're getting enough of it in your diet, if you're sunbathing, you so it can go down from that. Um, and just leaving foods like milk or liver or what have you sitting out in, uh, in light will, will destroy the riboflavin as well outside of the body. And so, um, you have to be careful where you're getting your food from. And if you are in charge of the preparation and it's fresh and real food, whole food, it's going to be a better situation. I think for most people.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, uh, that's that's one of the most um, the most noticeable changes in my own eating preferences in the last couple of years has been the amount that I cook at home. I was always a good cook because I uh, I learned from my father, but I also trained as a chef when I left school for about a year and a half. So um, I've always been been real handy. And, and the thing is your life becomes really simplified because you're only eating one to two meals a day uh, on average. Uh, you know, And then you're only blasting the barbecue to cook some steak or you know, I made some um, organic chicken liver pate the other day that I've just um, chilled down, uh, cooked it as slow as I could um, because iron isn't heat sensitive. And I know I'll destroy a bit of the riboflavin in there, but I can get that from eating um, some of the, the other steak that I eat incredibly rare. Um, some, sometimes I even have eaten raw, (laughs) but, but it sounds like, um, we do better when the, when the food's partially digested for us, if that's, if I'm not mistaken, Lisa.
1: Well said, yeah, if it's the, the heat will cook it. And so that technically partially digests it in a, in a manner of speaking. And so our bodies absorb the nutrients better that way. And as long as you're not overcooking it to destroy things like vitamin C and, and thiamine and you know other nutrients that you need. Um, rare, medium rare, perfect, just kill off the pathogens, kind of pre-digest a little bit. That's the way to go.
0: There's a study that you referenced when we spoke the other day about some snakes that they did a control study on about feeding them raw and cooked meat or cooked meat. Yeah, yes, so even
1: though snakes don't have opposable thumbs and aren't out starting fires, um, they <laughs> also do digest cooked. <laughs> meat better than raw so it's not just a human thing it, and people will say that about dogs oh well they're not out cooking their meat so it has to be raw well no they they actually do digest it better so yeah
0: but just they haven't evolved as fast as we have and developed their own uh, zippo lighter thumbs
1: Humans, we're here to help
0: yeah. i was um i've just recently invested in a book by judy cho who wrote uh, i think it's called the carnival code or uh I might be misquoting it here. Hopefully you know the name of the book. I've turned my phone off so I can't reference it, but Judy Cho. And she was talking about the impact of uh, histamine response and and, and allergic responses from foods that have been genetically modified. And she was talking about strawberries that had been gene spliced with uh, peanut genes because peanuts had um, an ability to not freeze, And of course if if strawberries are out particularly where you are in missouri where it's negative a million degrees at the moment um the the strawberry is going to freeze and be destroyed whereas if it's genetically modified with this gene from the peanut that stops it freezing or something um, then it survives but people that ingest the the strawberry can have a response to the peanut gene that's in there which i found so interesting and so I try and stay away from genetically modified anything anyway, but uh, no doubt I would have consumed it at times. Is that an area that you've had much experience in, Lisa? I
1: haven't had too much experience in that area, but I will say two things. One, uh, our Ozark strawberries are the best in the world. They are really incredibly tasty. I highly recommend them. Ozark, as uh, in, as
0: in the, like the TV series, same place?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, No. <laughs> Ozarks are sort of gorgeous, and they have um, wonderful, wonderful strawberries named after them. Um, they're smaller than the typical California strawberry, but they're much tastier. And yeah, there are, we, we've been, the other point is that we have been technically, in a way, in a manner of speaking, mod- genetically modifying plants for thousands of years now, to and animals as well, to get what we want out of them. For instance, we did breeding over in um Europe for particular cows that would give us a lot of milk well it changed you know a protein in there so it may or may not be beneficial to a lot of people but um yeah it so we've been doing genetic modifications for a very long time it's just now we're able to do them quickly very quickly and so I guess we can see the effects of it more quickly perhaps which you know so there, there's good sides and bad sides to it. it. It can be helpful or it can be detrimental, depending on how it's used and why, and all those reasons.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I, I look at everything through an evolutionary lens, Lisa, and I and I like to try and uh, get as close to my ancestors as I can, which I know is you know impossible with what we're doing in our modern world. But I certainly feel a lot better. I feel I actually feel phenomenal when I stick to uh my and i'm disciplined in the way that i go about my business i don't want or feel like i'm missing out a lot of the other uh the treats or the cheats or the whatever they are and i think that's a really important distinction it's like if people knew how good they can feel you know and you've got this gift of gratitude because you felt so horrendous and at times wanted to take your own life by the sounds of it with the depression and anxiety that was you know coursing through your veins um you know, maybe we just need to reflect a little bit and go. You know what? Maybe I can feel better than this. And and when you feel better, you start being way more productive, and you're typically a happier person. So you're you're nicer to people around you, and I think that that's one way of changing the world. One uh, re- reduced carbohydrate at a time.
1: Well, no doubt. I mean, it, it's really great to be able to help people now because I was barely able to help myself there. So yeah, it, it got to, I would have, you know, manic highs and suicidal loads and it, that's no way to live. And normally just changing the diet works, but there are other factors in play. And for people like me who probably have multiple genetic mutations that work together to kind of Make me need more of certain things than other people um, it's it's good to know how to go about fixing that if, if you need to so it's usually diet but not always
0: it's an easy one to address though isn't it first up
1: Absolutely. yeah, and because it, it's it's gotten to the point where it's really unfortunate because modern medicine is always about here take this pill, and it doesn't actually fix the root cause of the problem. Most of the time, it just sort of treats symptoms. So you're band-aiding symptoms and you're still bleeding, but you've got a band-aid on it. So it looks pretty. So what you want to do is actually fix the problem, not just feel better that you have the problem. And so there are lots of um, people walking around that have all the symptoms of hypothyroid, which exactly mimic the signs of iron deficiency uh, and it turns out that riboflavin deficiency can cause iron deficiency and iron deficiency can cause hypothyroidism and so there are people that are just been, be giving uh that are just being given uh, thyroid medication who actually have nothing wrong with their thyroid it's everything else that's going wrong upstream that needs to be you know, fixed, and then they wouldn't need any thyroid medication. And the same thing, you know, with restless leg syndrome to a, obviously a smaller degree, most of the time, it's just an iron dysregulation problem. And there, there are other things like fibromyalgia, how many people are out there just suffering every single day of their lives, or just chronic fatigue, can't get anything done, have no desire to do anything that could be treated overnight. It's, it's kind of mind boggling, really, how many, you know, uh, quote-unquote treatments we can throw at problems but if we fix the root cause it, it can really change people's lives
0: yeah it's, it's such an important topic and for anyone listening here that has a podcast has a platform that is interested in this this subject and this topic I implore you to get in, in contact with uh, Lisa through her elusiveiron.com website or you can reach out through me if you don't, if you can't get hold of her I'm happy to connect because this message is so important like you've you've had this presented to some really big names people like dr joe McCullough, who have not heard of the the kind of research or the science that you're involved with is that right
1: um, i'm not privy to that sort of uh <laughs> what people might not know about it but i uh I, the doctors i've personally talked to nobody really knows about it um they don't really investigate that sort of thing. It's just not something they look at. It's not something they're trained to look at. And so, yeah, it's great to be able to know what to look at exactly that isn't being addressed because it can go overlooked so easily. There are huge numbers numbers of people with anemia. And the thing is for every person with anemia, there are probably two or three out there with massive iron deficiency that will never ever get diagnosed unless you become anemic. They don't, hemoglobin, Unless that drops, they don't really pay attention to iron a lot of the time, and so I'm one of those people who all my levels looked incredible: my hemoglobin, my hematocrit, my MCV, my MCHC, all, all in you know, all of those things looked super. But then you look at ferritin and it's tanked out. Um, my transferrin saturation, all of that looked just beautiful. Uh, you would never think anything is wrong. And so, except for the fact my CRP, which is the um, one of the inflammatory markers that's commonly looked at. Uh, that was through the roof, and once I fixed the iron, that dropped like a rock. Um, but yeah, there are lots of things. What did it get people- down to?
0: What did, what did it get down to? Do you mind me asking?
1: Well, here's the thing: with the inflammation at play, that tends to artificially inflate the ferritin. So it got down to the low twenties, but when I was when I looked at it one time. But it could have been zero for all I know. I mean, there are people walking around with zero iron stores, and that's that's a marker of how much iron you have stored up in your body to use if you need it. And yeah, that's that's problematically low. Oh, the,
0: the, I was, I was, well, I'm glad you answered that, but I was curious to know you see reactive protein scores, the CRP scores.
1: Oh, the CRP, yeah, that was off the chart. <laughs> I don't even know how to address that other than it was off the chart.
0: Really? So, and then what did what did it get down to?
1: Ah. Uh, you know, I would have to look. Um, it it got down to normal. Yeah, I think just, mine. I got
0: mine recently. It was like point
1: three, I think, which yeah, was like below perfect. Right, you can get CRP or high sensitivity for if you want to go even further. So yeah, I looked for my CRP, and it within a few months it it had when I retested it, it had dropped down to about two, which is still higher than you want. But I hadn't retested it since then, so. I feel great. I don't feel like I have any pain now whatsoever. And so I would be shocked if we're still two.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, um, these aren't the blood tests that your average GP is going to even know about from what, from my own experience. So, and I think it's a really important distinction They they'll look at your blood from a, on your iron, from a sort of a helicopter view, but they don't have the, the training simply, it's not that they don't want to do it necessarily. They just don't have the training. And, you know, it's through, I don't know, thousands of hours of research that you've come to this conclusion, having a scientific background. So we're incredibly um, blessed and fortunate that you've stumbled across this. And I, it's again, you know, the, the more people that know about this, the better. Because the, the number of people that have like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, like it's always Uh, assume that it's like an autoimmune response, which it more than likely is relating to an iron absorption issue. So no iron underpins all of these chronic diseases. Um, So at least if you knock that on the head and it's still got problems and you know that you can address something else, it sounds like the the way to go forward.
1: Yeah, like you said, um, doctors just aren't trained to really look at these issues and treat root causes most of the time. And so uh l- lots of times these days, they're just trained to think, oh, it must be autoimmune and just here's a pill. Maybe we can do so, you know, but that's if you can find any other way to go about it, it's, it's always helpful to try at least to look for the root cause and test things that wouldn't normally get tested because this is a very, very wide ranging problem. Billions of people have this problem. And there are some people, uh, you know, the iron regulation in humans, the the idea that your body wants to keep it tightly regulated for multiple reasons. And one of those is malaria. And so if you have too much iron, well, malaria, it it will feed on that and it will cause you problems. And so there's kind of an offset there of how much do you want to, you know, treat with iron and how much do you want to expose to issues with malaria? And so everybody has their sweet spot. I will say that. And it's beneficial to find your sweet spot so that you don't have pathogens eating you and you're also not feeling miserable there there's you know a trade-off
0: well before we before i ask you for your concluding thoughts lisa what are some freebies that you can give someone that might be listening in a remote island that's got no access to health care all they've got access to is high quality animal protein what can they do to improve their overall health
1: well first thing is food as we discussed eat some meat Eat some organ meat. Make sure you don't leave the organ meat sitting out, uh, to expose to light. Don't overeat organ meat. Just eat a normal amount, um, as you would with the rest of the animal you're consuming. The other thing is get plenty of sunshine because that will help your immune system with vitamin D and everything else that goes into it. And it will, and all of that together will help your immune system as well with the food. And sleep is important and de-stress. Those those are really the main things. And then if you don't have access to blood testing, that might be where you stop. But if you have any access at all, I would encourage you to do that and then tweak to where you can feel better and you know really optimize your health.
0: Very good words. Is there anything that people can eliminate from their diets as well that's handy?
1: Uh, grain, if possible. Definitely grain oils, seed oils, things like Canola rapeseed oil, grapeseed oil, soybean oil, oh, all the things like that. They're they're very inflammatory. Olive oil, it depends on where you're located. Uh, I understand that Australia tends to have better olive oil sometimes, but some of ours is adulterated. And so you want to be careful that it doesn't have canola rapeseed oil in it. So it depends on that. The other plant oils that are okay are avocado oil and Coconut oil and palm oil, but you want to be careful if you're going to do any frying, serious heat stuff. You want to use animal oil for that, and keep down all the things it produces, and keep down your own inflammation.
0: Yeah, I think deep frying is something that's sort of gone out the window. I don't know that any meat that's worth eating needs to be deep fried these days. It's less. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, Lisa. I can't think of anything that like you wouldn't deep fry a beautiful ribeye steak I think or.
1: Deep fried- I mean, I wouldn't, but <laughs> you, know, um, <laughs> you know, if that's the treat, go with it. But uh, yeah, so you know, keep keep the heat down as much as you can. Cook it a little bit, yeah.
0: Any concluding thoughts before we wrap this up, Lisa?
1: I think we've covered most of the bases. Yeah, it's just been terrific to talk to you and to get the message out. And I absolutely appreciate you. You are just super duper and yeah this is just great. It's, it's um my first interview podcast so i'm, I'm blessed to be with you today
0: well we, i think we are blessed and thank you for your kind words uh you have an amazing story to share and i know you're only going to get better and better at it the more of these that you do so uh, you should be so proud of the work that you're doing and the help that you are providing to people uh that are really left with no other option um we can find you elusiveiron.com. You you're still building your social media brand and you and you and uh have you will you have a YouTube channel out by the time this comes out?
1: I do hope so. Yes. I have two videos in the works that I'll be doing next week. And that's the plan is to just do short, simple to the point videos of here's some symptoms, here's what you can do, maybe to fix them or at least to look at them in the lab, things like that just to help out because, you know, the message doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very accessible. And yeah, it's, it's just, as long as you have somebody to interpret them because, you know, reference ranges is what the laboratories give you. And that just means what they've commonly seen. It doesn't necessarily mean what's good. And so you need to know what to look at too.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Emerson. Love this channel. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this video with your friends. You can help support this channel through Patreon or donate via cryptocurrency. See the links below. Hey, leave a comment. We would love to hear your feedback. Thanks for watching.